Take a careful look. What are the things that we all have in common? Before we get started hit the subscribe button and enable the bell icon if you are interested in crypto, stock forex and the whole financial markets. Now let's dive into the video. Money is so integral to our society and our global economy that its true nature remains a mystery to most. This is the story of money, perhaps the end of money. As we know it, no matter how fat your bank account or how thin your wallet to us, it's all cold, hard cash. There are some who want to kill it, get rid of it, burn your dollars, your euros, your yen, and transform every penny you have into ones and zeros, digital currency and trust it to the web and computers spread across the planet. Magic internet money is called cryptocurrency bitcoin invented in secret. It was a gift to the world. It's not just a currency, but it's actually programmable money, a potential curse on bankers. I mean there's nothing that the big banks or politicians can do. Breaking every government's grip on money supply, what the internet did for information that Quinn is doing for money. Could it be the new gold? No, you have to really stretch your imagination to infer what the intrinsic value that coin is. Regulators, the Federal Reserve, the banking system. Please understand this is a thing that they have to take seriously. This is going to change the economic culture. Bitcoin. It could be a microeconomic miracle worker and it could be a macroeconomic wrecking ball. Is Bitcoin the currency of the future of godsend for criminals or a recipe for financial disaster? If you trust your money just as it is, we have a little story to share. Once upon a time, there was a big party with everyone standing around the punch bowl drunk. Politicians credited the strong economy to their wise decisions. Businesses jumped into new profitable markets, ignoring risk. In fact, the expert said there was no risk. Then troubling market data for minor countries, spooked the markets rumors spread more bad news rattled housing prices at the heart of the financial world. A major bank went insolvent investors and businesses made a run on the other banks, demanding their cash deposits. The largest financial institutions in the center of the modern world were frozen. Assets were seized banks, foreclosed, a credit crunch, threatening to the entire world economy. And then finally the government stepped in the largest bank bailout. Swift action by the head of state at Save the Day. Remember that? No, you don't. It happened 2000 years ago, Robe 33, a D ground zero for the first recorded liquidity crisis and government bailout in history. The largest empire the world had ever seen was brought to its knees by a banking disaster. Emperor Tiberius used money from the national treasury to bail out the country's troubled banks and companies history may not repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes badly people and power and their money have always been at the very center of it. The story of money is as old as civilization itself. When we lived in small tribes, keeping track of debt was easy. You owed somebody, a load of firewood, a neighbor owed you a piece of meat credits and debits were kept in your head. A mental ledger currencies, a language that allows us to express transactional value between people it's technology. That's older than it's a wheel it's as old as fire. 
When humans wanted to trade outside the tribe or village, they needed something. Everyone could agree that value, something, scalable, and to commodity monies. There were many kinds, but each had to embody the same five characteristics. Uh, commodity money is relatively scarce. Easily recognizable can be cut into smaller pieces. You can substitute one piece for another of equal value and you can carry it around without too much trouble. In ancient Rome, it was soft. The Aztecs used cocao beans. It was whale teeth on Fiji, the Akdung in Tibet shelves in Africa and China grains metal ivory rare stones, leather fish. If it had the five characteristics of commodity money, someone probably used it as currency. And then you ask what value do these currencies have? If you go into a primary school, you'll see children exchanging rubber bands and Tamagotchi and Pokemon cards and baseball cards and sweets and candy, and any other form of currency people invent currency when they have no other currency. And now they're going to invent digital currencies, but commodities that aren't durable or allows the store of value, a bad cacao crop, or a huge new salt discovery can throw your currency and economy into turmoil. A more stable system was needed about 2,500 years ago. The first metal coins were minted in China and in what is now Turkey. These coins shared the same five characteristics with commodity money, but were also very durable. In some cases, coins are the only thing left of entire civilization. Money does not originate with governments. Money arises naturally, as markets begin to develop, and as people with the division of labor realize that if I have X and you have a cow, we may need some medium of exchange in order for you to buy my eggs for me to buy your cow coins. We're an objective and universal unit of account, and they allowed people to buy and sell goods over vast regions. The market economy was born coins worked, but only if people trusted that the king or emperor who issued them, wasn't cheating on the metal content. Using coins also meant that an authority now controlled the supply of your currency money and political power were inextricably linked, centralized. Minting coins in a steady and predictable manner allowed economic growth and stability. The Wushu coin in China retained its value for 500 years in Constantinople. The solidus lasted for 700 years, but in those times, the coins didn't have the milk, this sort of milled edge they were flat. And what used to happen was as coins passing from people to people, people would cut little bits off. And in fact, some of the taxation that the kings would do would actually be taken one-eighth of the coin of taxes, built castles and financed, military campaigns, expensive hobbies, soon royal mints were substituting cheaper metals for silver and gold. This is called debasement and Europe's kings made a habit of it. The currency of France was debased every 20. For 200 years, if no one can trust the gold or silver content of your coins, how can you trade with other countries? International merchants found a solution. They recognize that one person's that has value. It can be traded or transferred. When those IOUs came from reputable sources, they could be used as a form of money, paper, money. This money was not based on hard commodities or a metal, but instead on someone's promise to pay merchant families like the end 15th century. Florence acted as clearing houses for these IOUs, it worked like this. An English trader ordered a shipment of Italian cloth from the Medici for 100 gold coins. His promise to pay the metadata was put on paper, 
Meanwhile, the Mecca chief owed 100 gold coins to another trading partner for delivery of wine from. The parties didn't go to the expense of transporting and exchanging gold coins. Instead, the paper was transferred. Everyone agreed that the paper had value 100 gold coins, but only because everyone trusted the Medellin as solvent middleman, they had created a paper money machine within a few generations. They rose from low crime to high finance. Their great wealth helped fuel the Italian Renaissance and elevated the family to levels of enormous political power, the power to marry into royal families and get elected as popes the ties binding money to power politics and influence. Now ran through church and state merchants had proven that creating paper currency could be wildly profitable. Goldsmiths wanted Inanda. Imagine it like this. If the goldsmith had seen over a period of time that some of the coins he was storing for people were gathering dust. The people who own. I don't need them right now. So what if I go and land them out into the community and I charge them interest on this loan? So he starts out lending some of these gold coins, and then later he realizes actually people don't even want the gold coins. They just want the piece of paper that says the gold coins are in the bank and with the goldsmith. So I can now make a loan with these pieces of paper and whatever. I write on a piece of paper, as long as people trust me, they'll trust the paper and effectively the goldsmiths and the early day bankers, they had literally acquired the power to print money, more and more private paper, money from merchants and banks circulated and began to rival the crown's coins, the power inherent in controlling and issuing, began slipping away from the rulers. They couldn't tax or debase this new kind of money, but they had bigger ambitions than ever with trading posts, colonies, and empires that now stretched across the globe. For centuries, European countries would take turns, building massive fleets and waging war on each other to rule the world. Government wanted to take these people's money in order to finance its wars. That's essentially the history of money, money, and warfare go together. War is expensive. One year's income taxes simply. Kings and queens had to borrow money against future taxes. They needed a groundbreaking financial innovation government bonds. The loans came from rich merchant, families and goldsmiths, who by now had become powerful financiers and bankers sovereign debt and deficit spending had been born. In 1694, the Bank of England was established to fund the war against France. England's central bank was privately owned and granted the monopoly to issue banknotes, paper that could be redeemed for an equal amount of gold from the government coffers. The central bank soon also managed the entire debt. Money has been a tulip sovereignty for centuries. Being able to issue currency, oh, gave you the power, but it also gives the value to that monetary supply by backing it with the force of state with essentially the debt of state. When the US won independence from Britain, the first article of the new constitution gave Congress the exclusive right to coin money. This currency's value was tied to gold in government vaults from 1781 until the Panic of 1907. The financial system of the U.S. was an economic petri dish, brief central banks, state banks, private banks, private currency, government currency, depressions, strong growth, recessions, regular boom, and bust cycles. The long term, as far as capital's concerned, people want predictability. People want stability. 
from the back of that, they can plan that very hard to plan in the long term with such a level of volatility. In 1913, bankers and politicians decided that it was in the country's best interest and theirs to have a permanent central bank. They created the Federal Reserve among its jobs, expand or contract the supply of a single national currency. The Federal Reserve note, the dollar was tied to gold and strategic control of it would avoid booms that lead to busts. At least that was the plan. Then came 1929. The Great Depression would have a profound effect on monetary policy worldwide. I shall ask Congress for the one remaining and don't make the prices. Hey Paul soon, the Fed had printed nearly all the money. It legally could to pump life back into the economy. It needed gold to fire up the mint. So in 1933, President Roosevelt issued a controversial executive order forcing all us citizens to sell their gold to the Federal Reserve at a fixed price or go to prison. The Fed offered far more cash to foreign governments for their gold, many jumped at the offer. Gold floated and dollars spread across the globe. World War II devastated nearly every major. Except the United States, the military and industrial juggernaut emerged as the global financial superpower. The dollar had become the world's most stable and trusted currency. Other countries pegged their currency to the dollar, which could still be redeemed for gold. In fact, the U.S. owned more than half of the world's gold reserves in the next few decades. More dollars flowed to foreign countries. Governments began to basing their coins with cheaper metals and printing more of their own currency than they have in gold. The bond between precious metals and paper currency was cracking. This is a 1966.50 cent piece. It was the last coin, oh, in regular circulation in Australia to contain silver and it contains 80% silver. So in 1966, this was. Nowadays it's $8 roughly in silver alone by 1966, foreign nations had had enough of the US collecting gold and printing cash, and they had more value in dollars than the US had bullion and its bolts. They demanded gold in return for their paper dollars arguments about the value of the dollar versus their currency and sued in 1971, President Nixon settled the matter he severed United States currency from the gold standard. I have directed Secretary Connolly, to suspend temporarily the convertibility of the dollar into gold or other reserve assets, except on amounts and conditions determined to be in the interest of monetary stability and in the best interest of the United States. Never again, could anyone legally demand us government gold in exchange for paper? For better or worse. The dollar was now backed solely by the full faith and credit of the United States government. The wealthiest nation, the world had ever known would bet its future on a single word. Trust people to have this mythology of money that is based on very little fact. Oh, and one of the nice things about Bitcoin is that it forces people to start to ask questions about the fundamentals of money. Oh, Bitcoin is an attempt to adopt the advanced computerized system that we have the internet to resurrecting. What money used to be all about. I think our dollar policies, our monetary policies, our fiscal policies have absolutely created a, a nation of debtors, not just personal debt, not just corporate debt, but government debt. And you have to look at those all together. As one big thing. What is the wealth of the nation for the wealth of the nation is a gigantic hole of money that we owe to the rest of the world that is never going to be paid back today.
the United States pays more than $400 billion in interest to its creditors. Every. When a government spends more money than it collects in taxes it simply borrows more, or it creates more. At one time, every piece of paper money was backed by gold. Remember for every $20 bill, there was $20 worth of gold in a government vault. Not anymore. Today governments create currency by first creating bonds or treasury bills. These bonds are sold in the market, generating funds for the government that issued them. Large banks buy us bonds to flip them, selling them to the Federal Reserve at a profit. This is the magic money machine. You see the Fed is America's central bank, but it doesn't have any money, no cash on its balance sheets. When a bank buys a bond and takes it to the Federal, the Fed simply says, thank you, Mr. Banker, here's the principal and some profit new money isn't exchanged. It simply appears on the bank's accounts magic for 100 years and counting the precise mechanisms of these bond purchases have remained a secret. Here's where it gets really interesting. The Federal Reserve is not a government agency. It's a private entity and its shareholders are banks, which earn a dividend as much as $80 billion per year. Tover are paid out to some of the very same banks that sell the government debt to the Fed, which banks don't even bother asking. That's also a secret. In other words, the magic money machine answers to no one. The Fed also sets the bar for how much interest you pay for a car home or business loan. The Federal Reserve has been given the impossible task of trying to run the credit and monetary system. As though we are the Soviet Union. It's the central planner for the mole for the key aspect of capitalism, which is how money and credit is allocated. The Federal Reserve unbalanced, oh, does not help the economy unbalance. It hurts the economy and it's bound to make mistakes. Even with the best of intentions. The Fed is also supposed to boost employment with low interest rate. Encouraging people and businesses to buy more goods and services governments getting involved in money is a good thing. And it's also a bad thing. It's a good thing because money is the arteries of the economy. The blood supply of the economy markets are subject to bouts of euphoria and despair, and it makes sense for governments to back currency and manipulate it, moving the money supply up and down is the most powerful way to sedate that boom and bust cycle manipulating the supply of money has short-term and long-term consequences. Central banks aim to create new money carefully, strategically, and very, very slowly releasing more money into the economy causes prices to rise. Ideally by 2% every year that's supposed to foster economic growth. But 2% inflation means the buying power of one cash dollar in your pocket today will be 98 cents next year and less, nearly every year to come since 1913, when the Federal Reserve took over the United States stolen. We've seen that the United States dollar has decreased in value. 98% inflation is a far higher tax because on your income, you pay it just once. If inflation is 2%, you're paying a 2% tax on your net worth every single year, your net worth held in piracy. So what does that mean? If you earned a dollar in 1913, you could buy 16 loaves of bread. A dollar barely buys you one. That's not our quaint notion of how cheap things used to be. It's proof that the value of your cash is slowly withering away. 
that $1 invested at 2% in 1913 would now be worth $7.24 more than 600% return versus a near total loss. So the US dollar has gone from being worth $1 to not being worth about 4 cents. Uh, so that's, you know, 96% of its original value and it's a direct result of government controlled governments. Don't create money from thin air, all alone. You play a key role in the magic money machine. It's not really the central banks that have the problem. I mean, they're part of the problem, but the real problem is that we've given their parents great money to the same banks that caused the financial crisis. We put our paychecks and savings into a bank account and draw from it as we need it. The banks are custodians of our money, right wrong. It is now the property of the bank on their balance sheets. They can do just about anything they want with it. For example, create new money. Here's how your bank account shows $100, but the bank only holds 3 and loans 97 to Bob to buy something. In the bank's computers, you still have $100 in your account, but Bob now has $97 of new virtual money in his account. Just digits on a computer screen. There's no cash, no gold or anything else backing up the new numbers and Bob's account. Just his promise to pay it back. This is new money created as debt. When those $97 are spent, say in a shop, the shop owner deposits into another bank and it is left out again and again and again. And each of these people have numbers in their accounts showing that they own this money. So your original $100 is multiplied. Now there are over $3,300 in the system. This process of loaning out far more money than a bank actually has as cash on hand is called fractional reserve bank. In the UK 97% of the money that exists is just numbers in the complete system. And those numbers are created by the banks. Banks earn untold billions in interest every year by creating and lending virtual money. What's more banks don't even need your deposit to create new money. If they consider someone credit worthy for a loan, they can put new magic money into his or her account and start charging interest. So reports this talk about Bitcoin as RSO as though it's the first digital currency, but actually we use digital currency. Every time you make a transaction through instant banking or through your, your bank card, actually it's not even just digital currency. It's digital currency that is created by the banks. Essentially, I have nothing. In other words, all new money is debt. This is a part of money creation that isn't taught in economics. Money in paychecks bank accounts. Oh, that loan to Bob credit card debt, your home loan all began life as virtual money created by the banks. The entire system is based on trust trust in the bank, solvency trust in the debtor's ability to repay their debt. If all bank customers demanded just 3% of their deposits right now in cash, this run on the banks would reveal the truth. Almost none of that paper currency you think is in your bank account exists. It never did. Remember the drunken party, our financial crisis had everything to do with virtual dollars to many people with very little income borrowed, a lot of money. They could never repay, but the banks didn't care. They didn't have to. They quickly made and sold shaky loans to someone else for a profit. And I got them all, a flat line. 
Now selling bad loans was a good business until the whole thing blew up in the global financial crisis. The magic money machine destroyed 30 million real jobs. The United States alone lost $16 trillion in household wealth. And the banks foreclosed on more than 1 million homes. Selling subprime loans and betting. They will fail may not be sacred, but it is lucrative as much as one quarter of our best and brightest are being lured by the sire and call of the money machine. Instead of science, engineering, or medicine, they chose the career playing with other people's money to get rich quick, very rich. And sometimes they take shortcuts by Anna Nicola. My ancestors in Greece. The corrupting influence of power and nothing has changed in these 3,000 years. When you give control over massive amounts of money to a few individuals, they will take advantage of that control. Banks today are factoring in fines and money laundering and all the rules that they break into their cost of doing business. JP Morgan is today coming out and saying that Bitcoin is not a legitimate way of doing business banks. Today are tied into a system that is completely rigged to basically harvest money from the entire global economy and pump it into the hands of don't get consumed. The existing banking system is cozy. It's captured the regulators. It extracts enormous value from society without delivering anything in return. And it is parasitic in nature. The banks play a very pivotal role in an economy. You look at any successful economy. It has successful banks. There's a very close correlation with banking profits and the economy as a whole in medieval Europe, a banker who couldn't repay depositors was hanged today that same banker would get bailed out, paid bonuses and enjoy some tax benefits too, to date. No senior US banking executive has been charged for selling the bad loans that fueled the Great Recession. In December, 2014, just six years after the last banking crisis brought the world to its knees. A congressman snuck a last-minute provision written by Citigroup into a crucial funding bill. The provision allows the largest US banks to once again, make risky derivatives bets with bank deposits, but no need to worry. If the banks implode again, lost deposits must be paid back by US taxpayers. Today's financial innovators package assets in ever more complex ways. Slicing dicing securitizing, always using someone else's money. They sell debt, transfer risks, leverage bets. That's what they call innovation. When you're talking about financial innovation, Bitcoin certainly, oh, is, is a very good example of innovation, but there's also been other innovations that people a bit closer to the world of finance would cite as good examples. An example of that would be the original swaps market from there, moving on to the credit default swap. It is an excellent example of financial innovation but also if it's used in. It can create a lot of problems. As we've just seen history teaches that the most revolutionary and disruptive innovation nearly always comes from the fringe, not from corporate cubicles, true innovators. See the world differently. They see the big picture, creating new products and entire systems that lead to new industries. Steve Jobs called them the square cogs in round hole. It's unsurprising that new innovations always come from a niche group of early adopters because it is inherently very hard for many people to realize the benefits of new technologies in 2011. Most Bitcoin community people were either people from the technology space, the geeks and hackers, or people from the financial industry. 
There are even some bankers and hedge fund traders using Big Conica at that time as well, which was really surprising to me. Oh, uh, radical new ideas often met with skepticism, ridicule, even hostility from those who stand to lose the most from its success case. In point the automobile. In the late 19th century, Carl Benz and others built the first cars contraptions that could threaten the stagecoach and railroad industries. These self-propelled vehicles or road trains would certainly scare horses, injure people and damage. Cars, the railroad baron said were just too dangerous. And to protect us, they used their power to pass a law in 1865. It required every automobile in England to observe a 4 mile per hour speed limit and to be operated by a crew of three, a driver, an engineer, and a flagman. This heroic flagman walked in front of the car to warn fellow citizens of the coming danger. The railroad tycoons, the lawmakers, the self-appointed gatekeepers used regulation to stifle innovation, but they didn't invent the flagman. He's been around for a long time for centuries. Very few could read books were copied by hand. The people in control political and religious leaders wanted to keep it that way. And they greeted Johann Gutenberg printing press with licensing, publishing bans taxes. In some parts of the world, printing was a crime punishable by death. After all, they were just protecting us from dangerous ideas. Before the printing press, there were an estimated 30,000 books in all of Europe. Fifty years later, there were 10 million as Gutenberg's invention flourished. The Dark Ages, withered progress couldn't be stopped, but the flagman never stops trying his masters setting loose on each of these innovations because they threaten someone's profits. Someone's country. But remember this is a story about money. What if a technological innovation allowed anyone in the world to be their own bank, to create a current, free from taxes and banking fees? The U.S. Constitution forbids citizens from printing or minting their own currency competing with or undercutting reliance on the U.S. dollar in 1998, Bernard Vaughn, not House decided to test the resolve of the federal government. The Liberty Dollar was available on gold, silver, platinum, and copper. It was available in three forms, both in specie, in other words, golden, silver and paper as warehouse receipts and in digital form, obviously the government didn't like it. They arrested me and convicted me of counterfeiting fraud and conspiracy. And I'm currently awaiting 22. Sentence in federal prison lesson learned, is that a hacker's convention? And now though, there was a young hacker there who used the alias, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. And he talked to a friend of mine and he identified the Liberty Dollar, and me as inspiring him to create a new currency. Bernard Vaughn, not House's arrest for creating private money may also have inspired Bitcoin's inventor to keep a lower profile publishing the invention under an alias and vanishing. Pardon me, is interested to know like who Satoshi is. Maybe that's part of the mystique of that. It's completely irrelevant to the functioning of Bitcoin because we have the code to read. Oh, uh, but it would be kind of fun to know who is our committees, who is Euclid. We don't know, we don't know if you click was one person or multiple people and you know what? It doesn't matter. You, the, and geometry works, whether I know who you click was, or not, whether you click was a moral and good person, or whether he was a corrupt plutocrat and a bastard science and mathematics ha! Huh? Essential truth that stands alone, 
irrespective of its inventors and irrespective of their motives. Well, Bitcoin is a system based on mathematical truths and these mathematical truths stand alone. We can read the source code in Bitcoin and understand it, and it will be true whether Satoshi Nakamoto was a man, a woman, a collection of individuals, a government agency, or aliens from the future. Bitcoin is digital currency in computer software. Capital B Bitcoin is the shared code that creates a global payment network. Using computers connected to the internet, Bitcoins are virtual currency, digital money created, stored and exchanged on that network. But unlike virtual dollars created by a banker, this new currency was created with math by an anonymous inventor. Bitcoin is an open source software protocol, like much of the code supporting the internet and email open source means anyone. Everyone can use the protocol. No one person or company can control it. Every change to the software is public open and transparent. The code was first developed by Satoshi. Then there were dozens now hundreds of programmers, constantly collaborating to improve Bitcoin's features and secure. So what makes Bitcoin a breakthrough? It tackles an ancient human dilemma and solves a computer science problem. Any shared information or data can be flawed, corrupted, anything can be faked. How do we know that what we're receiving can be trusted in our traditional mindset? It's very important to know who is behind this currency because their reputation is significant in knowing that our funds and the true wealth is actually safe. In finance, we rely on trusted third parties like banks, credit card companies, remittance services. They keep track of money as it moves from one account to another, and they charge us handsomely for it. We trust that their digital ledgers of credits and debits balance. A financial system that cuts out these middlemen could be cheaper and more secure, but Bitcoin is digital music and movies are easily pirated, copied, stolen. How can a digital currency retain value? If anyone can make a million copies? The answer is at the core of Satoshi's invention. A Bitcoin is not a file on a computer. It's an entry in the publicly distributed database called the blockchain just as the metadata kept a ledger of credits and debits today's banks record each transaction as a plus and minus in their ledgers. Now we call them databases. Bank accounts are replaced by a digital wallet that you alone controlled. Bitcoin's ledger is the blockchain, a record of every Bitcoin in existence and every Bitcoin transaction ever made it always balances because no Bitcoin never leaves it. When a Bitcoin is sent from one digital wallet to what they are really sending is control over that part of the database code. That is a unique key. Well, the new owner as the network processes transactions, it constantly synchronizes the one ledger across the global network. Each computer or Bitcoin miner has a complete and identical copy. And because the blockchain is public, it cannot be controlled by any one person or computer owners of the Bitcoin mining computers are rewarded with new Bitcoins for processing transactions and keeping the network secure. In other words, the Bitcoin network replaces banks and bankers today. The combined computing power of this global network is greater than the 500 biggest supercomputers combined times 10,000. And because every transaction is verified and recorded by the uh, Bitcoin cannot be forged. Digital currency cannot be debased with cheap methods or printed by the billion at will. 
Too much currency can unleash a monster skyrocketing prices, trillion dollar bills that can't buy a loaf of bread. There's a big movement in the US demanding that the Fed be audited. So we can find out what they're doing. Nobody really knows how many dollars are in existence. For example, Ben Bernanke had created several billions of dollars over the last several years, but nobody really knows where they landed at any time. For any reason, the central banks can print as much money as they want. They call it fancy things like quantitative easing. And when they do that, it makes the dollars or euros or yen that you and I have worth less. So if the world starts using Bitcoin as their, the currency, it can't be controlled by central bankers or politicians. Remember central banks create money to boost the economy and try to pull it back out before inflation hit. But no one knows how much magic money global banks are creating to boost their profits with questionable loans. It comes completely opposite. It's totally transparent. You know exactly how many exists. The computer code behind Bitcoin has a built-in brake pedal cutting the creation of Bitcoins in half, every four years. This ensures a transparent controlled scarcity and ultimately limits the total number of Bitcoins to 21 million. No lobbyists, no politician, no banker can create more or change the mathematical rules dictating their creation, dancing, accountability. And that is the things I think is most exciting about Bitcoin and the technology behind it is not so much that it will supplant the dollar or that it will supplant governance itself, but that all of a sudden there's a competitor to government and that government itself now needs to look over at shoulder more than it. This new digital currency can be purchased online with a credit card or in person with cash. And it has the five key characteristics of money, but is it a store of value? Is it stable or will it diminish over time? Like a commodity rendered, useless or a crop that fails? The ultimate power of a cryptocurrency is unleashed by mainstream adoption and an ever-growing volume of transactions with Bitcoin. The currency has been cracked much more slowly than other currencies. And the effects of that has been turning into what is essentially a spectrally sub-asset. If you ask a lot of Bitcoin enthusiastic, whether they're spending the currency, they're not, they're sitting on it and waiting for the price to go up. It isn't a currency. If you don't use it to pay people. The point is the average person is quite happy to walk into a bar and hand over, you know, a $5 note in order to, uh, drink. So you got to realize that most people are happy with the money system they have. If most people are happy with cash, they're in love with plastic in the US two-thirds of in-person sales are done with debit or credit cards. That plastic is a 60-year-old technology created by a middleman, never designed for the internet. Each transaction requires personal data like your name and address credit card databases are regularly hacked with fraudulent purchases, charged to your account criminals, buy and sell stolen credit cards by the thousands in dark corners of the internet. In some parts of London, one-third of all online credit card transactions are fraudulent. Card issuers don't hold you responsible for fraud. But protection comes with the price 2 to 4% in fees. That's $50 billion a year. The issue with credit cards from a merchant's perspective is there's a lot of risk. If they take a credit card, there might be a chargeback. There might be fraudulent purchases. In fact, there's hundreds of billions of dollars every year. 
and fraudulent purchases. Oh, Bitcoin purchase is done for pennies, but there are no protections. If you lose your passwords or are fooled into paying the wrong person, you can never get your money back. It is like digital care. For a seller. This means no chargeback risks for an e-commerce company like Expedia or Overstock cutting credit card fees can double their profit margin. You could not miss the points more effectively than by thinking of Bitcoin as a currency and payment network that will make shopping easier for the first world. Bitcoin is about everything else. Everywhere else. There are 2.5 billion people without a bank account with Bitcoin. A mobile phone with an internet connection is now a bank with access to the global market. What happens when Bitcoin services and infrastructure and Bitcoin wallets and payment processes start going into these countries? These people will be able to gain benefits from trade, where they could not previously these people will be able to send money home. Oh, international remittance, which is one of the major pain points of the current financial system. Yeah, if I say on $100 with bonds is going to cost me 20% Western, unions going to cost 10% other options that are competing Western unions, too, going to be about 5%. And if you're sending to really remote areas going to be anywhere between 15 and 30%. So in terms of money, ribbons is it's going to be a game changer using Bitcoin. You do not need a bank account. You just see an internet connection and a wallet to get set up. It's a tool to give people an access into the global ecosystem and give them a promise for an economic future and specifically provide a way for them to not be dependent on a government that could shut down their bank accounts, or even could go into their bank accounts and take out finances. Goldman Sachs came out with a report and they basically looked at here to replace all transactions globally. So FX bank to bank transactions with the Bitcoin product goal and still charging 1% mind you, it would save the global economy 200 billion. So not million, 200 billion dollars a year and save transaction costs, which ultimately goes back into the hands of the consumer. An international wire transfer can take up to 4 days, but yet the internet allows us to instantly and globally share text pictures, videos, anything digital, why not money, money, which we now know only exists as digits in a bank's database. Wouldn't it be great if you could send Bitcoin transactions, just simply var tweet, for example, you would say at the end of money, $1 worth of Bitcoin. And so we build just that. All you have to do is hashtag it with typical coin person and our Twitter bot will process the transactions, notify you and give you a link. And this will allow you to either withdraw your bitcoins or send it to someone else with bitcoin. You can send $1 or $1 million worth of value anywhere in the world. You can do it for free, or you pay the bitcoin network fee, which is still just around the penny. And there's nothing that the big banks or politicians can do to a cryptocurrency that can only be created and transferred with computer networks may be the next step of the digital revolution. The rise of machines, self-driving cars, drones, robots that rely less and less on humans. What I often think is that the future of Bitcoin or a digital currency from a broader perspective is really about machine-to-machine -machine payments. So by the time you have an unmanned taxi driving you around New York, and then going to power up at an unmanned power station or going to get repairs at an unmanned auto shop, 
you'll see the machine-to-machine -machine payments done with some sort of digital. We actually built this world that we live in over the last two or three hundred years, we've made some mistakes. We've learned to make things better. The idea that there's some magic key, that if you just sort of stop doing a few things, that there will be this perfect order that will settle is a very childish ideological delusion in my opinion. But that is not to say, that Bitcoin is an exciting thing. It's a terrifically exciting thing, but we have to try and engage with it with working minds, not with magical thinking. People are suggesting that is going to be another world currency, the dollar or the euro or the yen. I think that's not going to happen. I prefer to trust the banks or the central government compared to the Bitcoin is because someone's accountable. Whereas with the Bitcoin it's completely deregulated. There's no central control. There's no one held accountable. It is a free field. It's purely demand and supply driven. So clearly this is not a currency currencies don't behave like this, but what this is is a high risk speculative. So for the entrepreneurs, the bankers, the governments, and everyone else studying and watching Bitcoin, all I have to say is that there will probably be a lot of volatility and an upward trajectory, and to buckle up. Criminals, scam artists, bad actors are drawn to any kind of money, like a moth to a flame Silk Road was a marketplace that was online, that it existed in the underground web. Now this marketplace allowed people to sell things that were illegal to governments, fake IEDs, pirated music bibles in North Korea are cryptocurrencies inherently bad, or just the newest tool to acquire the forbidden porn is illegal in Iran was a few percent percentage points of sales on Silk Road was to sell port to Iranians. Now a much broader one that gets a lot of press with the guts of Silk Road. I've been doing research over the past couple of years into the online drug marketplaces in the dark net, using Tor and Bitcoin as technologies to enable illicit drug transactions. We did a global survey of drug users and we had over 20,000 people respond to that. And the majority of those people were buying traditionally illicit drugs, ecstasy cannabis, the FBI brought down Silk Road. It certainly hasn't stopped the trading of illicit drugs online. A lot of people want to criticize Bitcoin for being used for, for illegal things or of things. But if you look at it the most popular currency in the entire world for doing bad things, it's the US dollar. If you think of Bitcoin as a platform, instead of a currency, then you really begin to see the potential. It has the ledger which cannot be forged. It cannot be changed and the universal accepted genius that will be Bitcoin technology forever, and they'll have applications for years to come creating a secure global payment system may just be the beginning. Patents contracts, land titles, proof of ownership can be baked into Bitcoin, securely held in the public ledger. I read up more about Bitcoin. I play with the souls card. I built some things that I realize this is actually a very, very powerful protocol. It's not just the currency, but it's actually programmable money. The digital age has fundamentally changed the world. We have embraced digitized music, film, medical records, communications, the internet, the free exchange of information and currency can fuel revolutions help in a disaster. But our money is shackled to the 20th century, manipulated by governments and banks. 
The champions of Bitcoin ask us to imagine payments without a middleman investments, without a broker loans, without a bank insurance, without non-derider charity, without a trustee escrow, without an agent betting without a book record, keeping without an accountant global secure, nearly instant and free. Is it fantasy or the future of money and common? I love Bitcoins. I'm really into Bitcoin whales Tatashi Nakamoto. That's the name I love to save and we don't know much about him, but he came to save the day. We don't know what a big coin is. Fries. Usually the way people describe it is our digital cash. It's money world holding internet con as you're going into the old blockchain or. I know you're going to rain gone array. The people like, oh, I love my bank. I'm like, y'all ask a banker. You know what? 2 plus 2, it's like, well, I can tell you, but there's a fee down the road that will be told about the death of old mouth gifts about traders trading, alter coins and miners mining. Big point is a new technology. I like to say, all of the convenience, none of the vehicles, sorry, John, as you're going into the old blockchain coin, I know you're going to arraign, gonna rank guile. Everybody knows. You know, when I go online and I buy like an old pair of socks, if I pay with a credit card, I'm just buying stocks. Right. If I buy those socks with Bitcoin, it's a revolution. I am sticking it to the man. There's always people who are not ready to get into the new technology. You know, like when the internet came out there was people going, no, I don't think he's going to be. And then he came out, came out, people like, no, this isn't getting cash. And now Bitcoin comes out and people like, I don't even think I'm looking at, you're sick of being wrong. Get on this train. Cryptocurrency is the future it can create a revolutionary change in the world. Crypto is the future. Digital assets are the future, because the new world is all about digital so the cryptocurrency is the next currency. Invest in digital assets and cryptocurrency wisely. I am not a financial advisor. Cryptocurrency is known as the digital currency, or the decentralized form of currency that can be used for either payments or investments. What digital currency means is that it's not in the form of physical money that you can see or touch. Rather, it's a type of encoded digital form whose record is stored in millions of computers all around the world coming to decentralization. What it really means is that cryptocurrency is not controlled or backed up by any authority, banks or government. There is not a single authority that can control the price hikes and trends for cryptocurrency. So in simple words, the users all around the world themselves set the price and trends for cryptocurrency. But why was cryptocurrency created and who created it? Let's talk about the story behind its creation. The first ever cryptocurrency Bitcoin was created and launched in 2009 by a developer named Satoshi Nakamoto, who tried to improvise a way that could allow the user to send and receive transactions in seconds without depending on anyone. The motive behind the creation was to allow all the users to just be independent to transact money to anyone they want. They need to just pick up their phone, select the person's address and send assets in seconds without relying on any bank or government. 
you can consider cryptocurrency as a special code that is safe in your smartphone or PC that has some words, and if you want to pay anyone, you can simply send it with your smartphone and it will be easily sent. Now the question that arises in your mind is, how can we use cryptocurrencies for ourselves? Now the question that arises is how can we buy cryptocurrency? There are many cryptocurrency exchanges in the form of app and software that allow you to buy, sell and hold cryptocurrency. All you need is to create an account on the exchange, transfer some funds from your bank account to your exchange account and then start buying cryptocurrency. You should also have your cryptocurrency wallet to make the transaction very easily without losing any assets. We personally use Exodus as our software wallet. Although there are some hardware wallets like Ledger to keep your assets extra safe. You can buy or sell anytime you want and even you can send these bought cryptocurrencies to anyone you want in just seconds. The cryptocurrencies are added to the market by a process called cryptocurrency mining, in which new bitcoins or other crypto coins become part of the market. Actually, cryptocurrency mining is a very difficult, tricky and painstaking process in which the miners have to use sophisticated computers to solve mathematical problems and algorithms. And when the miners solve these codes, they get their reward in the form of crypto coins like Bitcoin or Ethereum. This reward can also be understood that the miners assist to add blocks in the blockchain to make transactions. Adding one block in the chain can give you as much as 6.25 bitcoins. Do you still have some questions about cryptocurrency? Don't be shy and comment your questions in the comment section below before going anywhere. Let's crack open that crypto toolbox at number 1, I have Luna Crush. The truth is that most people hear about cryptocurrency through social channels like Reddit or Twitter. Yes, it is true that there are some pretty solid influences on you. However, you cannot really compare that to what the collective voice of the crypto community is saying. Luna Crush basically uses artificial intelligence, machine learning and all that great stuff together and organize information about different cryptocurrencies and make sense of it. All that includes gathering data for social engagement, Twitter activity, Reddit link, popularity, news activity, Google search volume, and much, much. All that information is aggregated to give you a top-level overview of what the social sentiment really is for different crypto projects. Seriously folks, this tool alone will save you countless hours, flicking, back and forth between different information sources. The crew at Luna Crush have developed two proprietary scores. The first is the Galaxy score, which measures a cryptocurrency against itself. When it comes to community metrics gathered around the... This is honestly a really useful gauge of the overall health, performance and quality of a single project. The overall Galaxy score combines the total score for four major performance indicators, a price score, which is based on moving averages and on market value, social sentiment. This is a percentage-based score, reflecting bullish versus bearish social posts. Then you have a social impact score, which combines the volume of mentions and the number of interactions. Essentially, this embodies the awareness of a project. Finally, 
A correlation rank is used by the algorithm to determine the correlation of social data to the price and trading volume of a coin. All of that is then combined together to give you the galaxy score for a project in short, the higher it is the better. The second interesting indicator on Lunar Crush is Ultra Rank. So when you think about altcoins from an investment strategy perspective, I bet most of you are trying to earn more Bitcoin. Even if that's not the case, you probably don't want to hold an altcoin. If you're losing versus just holding Bitcoin, Aldrank basically looks at a project price performance relative to Bitcoin, as well as community activity. When you layer those two things together, I found you get some pretty interesting projects popping on your. Honestly, there is a lot more to learn the crush and even better, it's entirely free. So be sure to check it out for my second crypto research topic, I am going to have to go with Masari. This is a crypto data aggregator that helps you scout those hidden gems to add to your portfolio or adopt a data-driven approach to help you make better trading decisions. It gives you numerous options to see what is trending in the space to scout new coins and evaluate them. I constantly use the Masari screener, which gives you a load of ways to sort coin information by clicking the Columns and Filters button. This allows you to sort coins by a comprehensive range of different stats, like liquid market cap stock to flow bond chain, data metrics, sector, coin categories, social media stats, and a whole lot more. I don't think many people appreciate how useful it is to be able to sort different crypto project by sector. That's all possible with just a few clicks using Masari. Yes, you can find all the smart contract platforms if you want, or all the stable coins. And so on. Give you a microcap, Jim Hunter, you could say, Hey, I don't want to see any project with a market cap greater than $10 million and solely focus your research on this sector of the model. Another thing I find really useful with Masari is its attempt to cut out wash trading volume. This is done by Masari building a list of what they deem the 10 most trustworthy exchanges in crypto and reporting volume from these exchanges separately. Basically there are almost infinite ways to slice and dice the data in Masari. I use it to help create that short list of coins in a certain sector. And would that risk profile? Yes, you'll have to do deeper research for coins on your short list. However, being able to quickly screen up projects, seriously streamlines that research process. When it comes to costs, you can get access to basic metrics and features for free. However, if you want to get maximum value out of this tool, then it's going to set you back $25 per month. My third pick is Glassnode. I go as far as to say that this is the only tool you need when it comes to on-chain market indicators for Bitcoin and Ethereum. So how can this on-chain data be useful to you? Well, a simple example would be on-chain exchange activity on Glassnode. You will be able to see stats like the exchange inflow volume and how it compares to inflows for the last 24 hours or last few days. That's pretty useful information to know seeing that most people send their crypto to an exchange if they want to trade it. Yes, there are a whole host of stats that I cannot get into in this video. 
But one seven numbers I like to look at is the number of new and active addresses. Thank gives me a great snapshot of what's happening in the wider crypto ecosystem. You can benefit from Glass Node for free. However, if you want metrics displayed over shorter time frames access to tier 3 metrics and the shorter data lag times, then you'll want to pay $29 a month for the advanced version. Yes, a professional version is available for a whopping $600 per month, but I honestly can't see how people like you and me are going to get value from that sort of outlet. My fourth research tool has to be scaled. Honestly, this little known tool is pretty extensively used by crypto asset managers, hedge funds and auto desks. It's damn useful if you are the type of fellow that likes dabbling in exotic crypto instruments, like futures and options. That being said, I imagine many of you are looking at DeFi projects and the wider defined ecosystem right now. Skew has a host of really interesting data in graphical form. But I'm sure many of you can get value from that includes things like Ethereum defined value and where it is dying liquidation levels based on the if spot price and much, much more. There are also a host of really interesting spot market charts and graphs for both Ethereum and Bitcoin. I'm talking about things like aggregated audit books, aggregated daily volumes bid ask spreads for different exchanges. Oh, yes. If you're trading on the likes of Babbit or OK. X and want to know what's really happening with things like liquidations 24-hour volume today's volume compared to other days, the open interest and more skew has you covered for that too? I must confess only at the advanced traders on one. You are going to get the full value from skew. However, I do think that knowledge is power and thought. I'd put this tool on your radar. The fifth research tool I want to bring up would be sentiment like skew. This is one for all you crypto traders out there in short, it's a tool to help you analyze the crypto market and help you locate those data-driven opportunities. The tool basically combines on-chain, social and development data together for over 900 projects and delivers that to you in an easily digestible way. So one way that you can use sentiment is to help you spot exit opportunities. I found that extreme spikes in a coin's social volume during a rally is a pretty reliable indicator that our local top is approaching. That all makes a bunch of sense. When you think about it after all, do you really want to be buying into a coin when it's in its peak hype phase? You can also subscribe to alerts on sentiment, which will let you know whenever a coin you're interested in has a surge in social media. Personally. I usually take that as a signal that a correction is coming and take the appropriate action. When it comes to spotting market bottoms, I'm going to level with you. The indicators are nowhere near as well developed compared to spotting tops. However, the chaps that sentiment to have developed a bottom indicator that examines the divergence in price and on-chain activity. That's something I'm looking into right now, but the jury is still out on that one. Another use for this is to add context and provide you with the data needed to study market activity. Yes, on-chain transaction volumes are useful. However, taken in isolation, they could be misleading. 
I find that deeper chain analysis data like token velocity helps give you a better picture of what's really going on. And yep, you can get all that with sentiment. When it comes to identifying social trends, I honestly find the sentiment social tool pretty useful too. It calculates the top 10 words with the highest spike in mentions on crypto social media compared to the previous two-week average. So if everyone is suddenly mentioning a specific project with the word buy, then it might be a good idea to consider offloading that position. Next, at number 6, I have coined. Market cap is a cool crypto metric. Everyone should be keeping an eye on. So what's the best tool to track all that? Well, yes, coin market cap is very popular. However, since Binance is acquisition of CMC, I've been using CoinGecko more and more here. You get access to practically everything that coin market cap has to offer. However, there are a few advantages I want to quickly go over. The first is a user-generated sentiment poll. That's pretty damn useful for working out how people feel about a coin on any given day. Secondly, CoinGecko also has more detailed social stats for the likes of Reddit, Twitter, and Facebook. You can use all that information and combine it with that market cap data to get a better feeling for the... For those that want to check up and see what a project's developers have been up to CoinGecko also has you covered with developer data on things like merged, pull requests, contributors, commas activity, and more. Oh, and speaking of market cap, market cap manipulation is also a problem. Plaguing the crypto space, the chaps that CoinGecko actually have their own unique screening methodologies that try and filter out those bad acts. Basically, if coins are suspected of wash trading, then they're removed from the CoinGecko rankings. There are a ton of other useful features that are, have to leave until another day. But yes, folks definitely check out CoinGecko. When you have a moment, the seventh tool on my list is Crypto Panic. Alright, I'm sure that many of you have encountered the situation where you're diving down the proverbial rabbit hole when it comes to researching a crypto product. Before, you know, it hours have passed and you have 50 tabs open in your web browser. What's even worse is that you still don't feel like you've completely caught up with the latest news and updates. If you're nodding right now, then you are going to want to take a look at Crypto Panic. In a nutshell, this tool is a crypto news aggregator that crawls through reliable news websites and other sources like social media, no fake news here. All this is super useful. As news does impact upon crypto prices and understanding why a coin has made a big move can really help you learn what to look out for in the future. It's also pretty nice to know the reason why that altcoin you're holding has suddenly started blasting off. If you want to save yourself hours, scouring, dozens of different crypto websites searching for the latest news on projects. You're interested in then do yourself a favor and start using Crypto Panic. My eighth tool that I think you should try. It is CoinMarketCow. Essentially. This is a cryptocurrency calendar that tells you about all the upcoming events for that crypto project. You might have an eye on 
So let's say you're interested in what event drivers might impact on the NIM price. You can search the coin in coin market cap, and it will bring up all the listed events for the selected time here. With just a few clicks, I've been able to determine that the testnet launch is coming up shortly. A security review is incoming and the main net launch is set for December the 17th. That's the sort of information that's pretty useful to know if you're scouting out a coin. The real cool thing about CoinMarketCap is that it's community-driven and upcoming events are validated by the community. Trust me, if anyone posts anything fake here, then chances are it's going to get a lot of downloads. So if you have that annoying friend, that always seems to know what events are in the pipeline for obscure altcoins or big capsule, like you now know their secret. Feel free to call them out as nothing more than a coin market. Cal user. My night useful research tool focuses on what project developers are up to after all. If there's nothing going on in that department, it's probably going to be hard to get some gains from that investor. Yes, you can get comments, data from CoinGecko. However, I think Crypto Mezzo showcases it in a more digestible way. Also, I love to see how many commits project pushed in relation to each other. This gives you a rough idea of how hard those developers are working. This can help you look under the hood of a project. For example, the price action of Genesis Vision looks all good recently, and that's probably enough for most people just to throw their money. However one quick look at Crypto Misa tells you they posted only two comets in the last year that has to raise some serious questions about what their developers are up to. Right now, I'm not picking on this particular project. The point is that Cryptone, these out can certainly help you flag up potential issues. When it comes to project development, maybe these guys have finished all the development they need for now, or maybe they're developing in private. Either way, you should definitely be aware of how much development is actually going on in a project. And this is a great tool for those who are not developers to get a gauge of that. At number 10, I have coined Dance. Honestly, there's just so much data here. So if you're the type of person that wants to see the numbers for things like hash rate fees, mining, breakdowns, and more than you might want to check this tool. One of the things that I personally use CoinDance for the most is to get an idea of the macro crypto environment and how adoption is going in specific countries. You can check that out here by looking at local Bitcoin's data broken down by country. Many of you will be aware that Argentina is going through some tough economic times right now. Interestingly, there's a distinct surge in local Bitcoin's volume of Venezuela is another place that's in the economic doldrums with perhaps the worst hyperinflation we've seen for some time, but yes, not surprisingly. It seems that people are increasingly turning to Bitcoin as a store event. If this chart is anything to go by, are they useful? Top level stats include things like Bitcoin and blockchain search volume. If you see massive spikes in that Google search volume, anytime soon, it might be a good idea to consider taking a bit of. If you're interested in crypto macro stats, then you definitely should check out CoinDance. I've only scratched the surface when it comes to the data available there, 
and we'll have to leave a deeper dive into it for another video. Alright, team, I think we're almost out of time for today and need to move on to my closing thoughts. If you have found this video interesting, make sure to like and share it with your friends. Stay tuned.